Amen. Happy holidays. You know, I've always wondered why we don't say that about any other holiday but Christmas. So have a happy holiday this weekend. But, um, and by the way, uh, if you have not watched the Shabbat service from this week, I would strongly recommend that you do that. It was just, I mean, they've all been good, but to me, this one was over the top. I was greatly blessed. So be sure to, to tune in and watch that while it's still available. But today is a special day. And I think it's a very important day for us to gain vision of what God is doing. And so my message this morning is restoring liberty to the land of the free. So today is the 4th of July. In America, it's the day we celebrate the birthday of our nation. It's a celebration of liberty. You know, the goal of our founding fathers was to establish a place where everyone could be free. Liberty has always been a cherished American value. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. In school, we learned the song, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. Now, you don't fully appreciate the freedom that we've had here till you've been in some countries that don't have liberty. You know, uh, back right after the fall of communism, I ministered in Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe uh, a number of times. And there was one time I was walking down the street in the city of Moscow with my uh, interpreter. And as we walked along, one after another, people would come up to me to try to sell me something. And they'd talk to me in English. You want to buy a military watch? And after a while, I noticed I was the only one they were coming to. And I thought, I must stand out like that proverbial sore thumb. But how? So I turned to my interpreter and said, you know, I'm not dressed any different than anyone else here. How can they look at me and know that I'm an American? And my interpreter laughed. She said, that's easy. You look free. And I started looking in the eyes of the people that we walked past. And there was this haunted look of someone who's lived under bondage and oppression all our lives. And back in those days, Linda and I went to country after country, and in every place we visited, and we talked to people, the dream of everyone we met was that someday they could move to the wonderful land of freedom called America. And at that time, America was a beacon of hope for the world. You know, back in the early 90s, flying from Moscow into the U.S., Over and over again, passengers on the plane would applaud when we finally touched down on American soil because everyone was so glad to be back in the land of the free. But you know, in the past few years, something has happened to America. 
The corona pandemic unleashed a spirit of fear in the world. Many were paralyzed by fear. We even saw panic in the grocery stores. And in response to fear, many felt it was necessary to give up liberty. And the result is we no longer feel free. And instead of appreciating our nation for the freedoms it has provided us, many now seem intent on destroying it. Since the pandemic, waves of violence have inundated many cities. Forces of anarchy have risen up to overthrow the system. Many politicians and many in the media actually seemed ashamed to be American. And we wonder, can America ever be restored as a beacon of hope to the world? To be known as a place of freedom and liberty. And so Chuck asked me to speak this morning on freedom and liberty. My message is restoring liberty to the land of the free. Now, I know we have a lot of people listening in from other nations. We bless your country today. And if you're not from America, I want to show you biblically some things that you can pray into to see more liberty brought forth where you are. But when Chuck asked me to speak on freedom and liberty, I looked up the definitions to see what the difference was. And what I found was they're synonyms. They both basically mean the same thing. Both freedom and liberty mean not under bondage, slavery, or captivity. Release from arbitrary control, despotic restrictions, or hampering conditions. Being truly free means you are no longer a slave. Now to understand what holds people in slavery, we need to see that behind the reality that we know there is an invisible realm. It's a spiritual realm. There are spiritual realities that influence what takes place in the earth realm. And to truly understand freedom and slavery, we need to see them from a spiritual perspective because what holds you in slavery is not in the material realm. It's in the spiritual realm. And today we want to see in the spirit what holds people in bondage and what can set them free. And it's interesting, the same principles apply both to individuals and to nations. Now freedom is important in the Bible because God wants all people everywhere to be free from every kind of slavery. Now there are two roots of slavery described in the Bible. The first is sin. In John 8, Jesus says everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Romans 6 says, do not give in to sinful desires. Don't you know that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? So the, the Passion Bible says, if you choose to love sin, it will become your master, it will own you, and it will reward you with death. So when you choose to sin, you become a slave. Sin will control you and produce every kind of evil and eventually lead to death. Now choosing slavery to sin is called license. License says, I'm getting rid of the law, 
I want to be free to do whatever I feel like doing. Now, that sounds like freedom, but it's not. When you take that path, you quickly find that you can no longer do what you really want to do. You become a slave. Romans 7, Paul says, I do not understand, for I'm not doing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? See, you can lose the ability to choose what you really want to do. Now, there's a second root of slavery, and that's legalism. It's being held in bondage to a principle of law. And it can be any kind of law. It can be the law of man. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, we talked about the free world and the Iron Curtain. And people in the communist Iron Curtain countries were held in terrible bondage to very oppressive laws. But a spirit of legalism can use any kind of law. It can even use the good and the perfect law of God. We see that in the book of Galatians. Paul had brought the message of the gospel to the Galatians. He taught them the amazing truth of our freedom in Christ. They learned that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And see, God wanted the Galatians to be surprised by his grace. He wanted them to be overwhelmed by his goodness, confident of his provision, to have the assurance of his love, to walk in the fullness of joy. And the Galatians received the message of the gospel. They fell in love with Jesus. They walked in liberty. They lived lives that pleased God. But then legalism came in. Some false teachers came to town. They seemed very spiritual and very religious. And legalism said, you can't have God's blessing because you don't deserve it. You are not pleasing to God because you have not measured up to his standard. You need to live by the law. And legalism put them under the weight of the law. It produced guilt. It produced fear. It produced condemnation. That's what legalism produces. The one thing legalism did not produce was righteousness. Legalism took away their liberty, but it didn't make them more godly. It didn't bring them closer to God. And so in Galatians 3 and Galatians 5, Paul writes, you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How is it that you are turning back to those miserable principles of legalism? Do you wish to be enslaved again? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, I like that phrase, who works miracles among you. God wants you to know you're supposed to have miracles taking place. Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. 
It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. See, legalism makes a list of what you must do to please God. And then it gets out a clipboard and stands around judging everybody to make sure they do it right. But it misses the heart of God. And there's no joy. And sooner or later, legalism always leads to rebellion. Romans 7 says, when you try to live by a principle of law, there's something inside you that rebels. Legalism always leads to rebellion, and that drives you back into sin. What happens is this. When you try to escape the oppression of legalism, you'll end up in license where you're enslaved to sin. And God convicts you of your sin, so you rush back into legalism. But when you can't take any more legalism, you end up going back to sin. And some people spend their whole lives like that. And see, either way, whether it's legalism or whether it's license, you're still a slave. Nations go through the same cycle. A spirit of legalism will always lead to tyranny. But when tyranny becomes severe, people rebel and they end up in anarchy. That means they've tried to throw off the constraints of law and they embrace license. And so trying to escape tyranny, they end up in anarchy, which never works. And when conditions get bad enough, they'll run back to get into tyranny. But they never experience liberty. So what is the key to freedom? The key to true freedom is the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the key to a life of freedom is to walk in the Holy Spirit. When you walk in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit produces righteousness in you apart from legalism. Let me say that again. When you walk in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit produces righteousness in you apart from legalism. And the only way to experience true and lasting freedom is through the Holy Spirit. And that same thing is true for nations. As you study world history, you find nation after nation has gone through the same pattern. They're in tyranny, then they go from tyranny into anarchy, and then they plunge back into tyranny. But many of them never experience freedom. Now, America was birthed out of a desire for freedom. And for a long time, it was free. It was the freest place on earth. We were the land of the free and the home of the brave. Back in the 50s and 60s, the world was divided into the Iron Curtain countries, enslaved to communism, and the free world aligned with America. But you know, we don't call ourselves the free world anymore because we've lost a lot of our freedoms. Now, what allowed our country to have freedom? 
You know, America was not, has not always been a godly nation. Some people try to tell you that it was, they just haven't read history. I mean, we've been guilty of some terrible things. But it was a nation shaped by revival. Things were often bad, but when things got bad enough, when darkness was about to overwhelm, the church would call out to God and the Holy Spirit would sweep in and bring revival to the nation. And for at least a generation, the nation would be changed. See, revival is the outpouring of the life of God on his church that brings spiritual awakening to the land. And in almost every generation... A move of Holy Spirit has swept our nation, releasing the life of God and holding the powers of darkness at bay. You know, most Americans don't realize it, but America is a nation that was birthed in revival. In the 1700s, one of the most amazing moves of the the Spirit in history swept the world. It began in Germany, it spread to England, and then it came to the American colonies. And revival spread through the colonies like wildfire. People called it the Great Awakening. Because in the sleepy churches of the American colonies, the Holy Spirit fell. And he began to move in incredible manifestations. The descriptions are just awe-inspiring, people falling under the power of the Spirit, people getting drunk in the Spirit, people having visions. Throughout the colonies, church attendance doubled, and America was changed. Benjamin Franklin described what, what he saw. He said, from being thoughtless and indifferent about religion, it seemed like all the world was growing religious. One could not walk through a town on an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. And the Great Awakening provided a Christian foundation for America. Our Constitution was written by people whose lives have been impacted by the Great Awakening. But America was not only birthed in revival... It's been continually blessed by revival. The history of America is this. When things look hopeless, when it looks like the devil has won, people turn to God and God comes. So in the 19th century, we had another revival. It began at the very start of the new century in a little country church in Cambridge, Kentucky. And they called it America's Second Great Awakening. It began with this man, Daniel Boone. Anybody ever heard of him? I mean, we know him as a woodsman, an explorer, a folk hero. Back back when I was a kid, there was a Walt Disney show about him. But he loved the Lord. In 1816, he said, the religion I have is to love and fear God, to believe in Jesus Christ, to do all the good to my neighbor and myself that I can, to do as little harm as I can help, and to trust on God's mercy for the rest. Now, concerned about the spiritual state of the frontier, Boone invited a Presbyterian minister named Barton Stone to lead a three-day celebration of the Lord's Supper at the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Bourbon County, Kentucky, in August of 1801. 
to everyone's surprise, over 20,000 people showed up. I mean, this was the sparsely settled frontier. And the Holy Spirit fell. There were strange manifestations. Anybody ever see the Holy Spirit do something strange? One writer described it this way. The noise were like, was like the roar of Niagara. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the most piteous accents while others were shouting loudly. Barton Stone, the pres you know, Presbyterians are not generally known for being wild. He said the scene was new and very strange. It baffled description. Many, very many, fell down as men slain in battle and continued for hours in an apparently breathless and motionless state, sometimes for a few minutes reviving and exempting, uh, exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or a prayer fervently uttered. Whoa. He said no person seemed to wish to go home. Hunger and sleep seemed to affect nobody. Eternal things were the vast concerns. And as those who were at the meeting returned to their home churches, they took the anointing with them. The Cane Ridge blessing. <laughs> Similar manifestations broke out all over the place. In a North Carolina Presbyterian congregation, for example, they said physical manifestations and speaking in tongues made it like the day of Pentecost and none was careless or indifferent. And the result of the outpouring was immediate. The church on the frontier exploded as thousands of people were converted to the Lord. So many new churches were being planted, there weren't enough pastors to go around, so they started having circuit riders. A circuit rider was a pastor who traveled on horseback from church to church to minister, and Preaching every day, it would sometimes take five to six weeks to complete their circuit and start over again. By 1839, there were more than 3,500 circuit riders across the frontier. You know, Linda's great-grandfather was a circuit rider among the Choctaw Indians. The moral climate of the frontier changed dramatically for the better. And see, America has known revival like that in almost every generation. At the beginning of the 20th century, the spirit fell again. It would be one of the greatest moves of evangelism and missions in world history. Today, we call it the Azusa Street Revival. It was led by a man named William Seymour. He was a soft-spoken, one-eyed black preacher, and he started a meeting in a home on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And in 1906, the Holy Spirit fell. The meeting started to fill up. They got so crowded, they couldn't all fit in the house, so they moved out. They gathered around on the front porch to try to hear what was going on, and so many people were standing on the front porch, the porch collapsed. And so they moved to this old building, and they named it the Apostolic Faith Gospel Mission. And its location was Azusa Street. 
And so the Azusa Street Revival began. God's presence rested in the building. And people who entered were moved to weep and repent. Many who came as skeptics were so moved by the presence of the Spirit, they repented in tears. And this went on for three years, and in the process of those years, God poured out spiritual gifts and prophecy and words of knowledge and tongues. Now, events in Azusa Street received national attention in 1906 when Seymour received a prophecy that God was about to judge California for its sin. Within days, the San Francisco earthquake struck, nearly destroying the city. And when word of that spread, national newspapers began covering the Azusa Street meetings. People came from all over America to receive the power of the Holy Spirit with tongues and spiritual gifts, and the Pentecostal movement was birthed. And it didn't just affect America. It was one of the greatest mission movements since the early church. In the Soviet Union, Pentecostal churches grew to more than a half million despite years of severe persecution. In Chile, the Pentecostal movement grew from 37 members to over 600,000 in 75 years. In Brazil, the first Pentecostal missionaries arrived in 1910. By 1983, the Pentecostal church in Brazil had grown to over 7 million members. In communist China, when China finally opened up to the outside world, the church was amazed to hear that there were reported 100 million Pentecostal Christians in China. That makes it probably the fastest growing church in the history of Christianity. Then in the 1940s, there was a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. Healing evangelism swept the world. In 1960s, there was the charismatic movement. It was the outpouring of the Pentecostal anointing into mainstream Episcopal, Lutheran, and Catholic churches. A lot of those denominations didn't like it, but they were afraid to shut it down because the charismatic churches were the only ones that were growing. And then in the late 60s, the Jesus movement. It was a time of great turmoil. Vietnam War, war protests, social unrest, LSD, other drugs. The drug culture really was birthed. Their slogan was, tune in, turn on, and drop out. And millions did. They were called hippies. They rejected tradition. They said, don't trust anyone over 30. You know, when I hit 30, I thought, oh my. But they embraced drugs and long hair and free sex. And most of the church didn't think people like that could get saved. And yet the Holy Spirit fell on them with great power. And suddenly all over the world, you saw Jesus freaks with their long hair in their hippie vans with Jesus bumper stickers all over the back door. There were hippie evangelists who operated in supernatural power, men like Lonnie Frisbee. They offered an instant cure for heroin addiction called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It created a new Christian counterculture, Jesus movement, Jesus music, Jesus newspapers, coffee houses, communes. They had mass baptisms in the Pacific Ocean. 
It's estimated probably at least two million people were saved worldwide. But there was a problem. See, the Jesus movement was the greatest movement of evangelism and miracles in modern history. And the church rejected it. See, the church at that time had gotten very religious, and the Jesus people didn't follow, didn't follow their rules. And so ushers often met Jesus people at the church door and told them they were not welcome unless they went back and got a haircut and put on a suit and tie. See, it was harvest time in America. People were getting saved. People you never thought could get saved were suddenly hungry to know Jesus. But the church didn't want them. The church said, in effect, we don't serve their kind. They have long hair and beards. They're dirty. Some of them are smelly. You know what Keith said? You know, if you go fish, and fish sometimes stink. They listen to loud, terrible music. And they won't even wear a suit and tie. It was harvest time. But the church rejected the harvest that God wanted to bring in. And so the harvest was left rotting in the field. Most of the new converts were cut off from the church. Many went back to the world. Some fell into cults. But there were millions who should have been saved that never got the opportunity. The church had rejected a major move of the Spirit. Now, our nation had been blessed with revival generation after generation. The presence of the Spirit allowed us to know a level of liberty almost unknown among the nations. But in rejecting the Jesus movement, we missed a generation. And I'm convinced that many in what we now call the radical left that the church sees as, en as enemies are actually people God wanted to save in the days of the Jesus movement. But the spirit was quenched. And the result is we've lost a lot of our freedoms. But you know, the story of America has, al has always been the story of men and women calling out to God and of God breaking into history with waves of revival. Now we missed a generation, but God is not finished with us yet. I believe God is about to give us a second chance. See, the millions that God wanted to save during the Jesus movement are still out there waiting to be saved. So I want to make a declaration. It's harvest time again. Tell your neighbor, it's harvest time. You know, the harvest has already begun. I've loved the headlines that we've seen over the past year. A new Jesus movement has begun. It began on the beaches of California. Some of the headlines, two to 3,000 gathered to raise their voice on Pismo Beach. California Beach Revival draws hundreds to Christ, likened to the Jesus People Movement. How about this one? The church has left the building. The Los Angeles Times declares revival happening at the ocean's edge in Huntington Beach. When indoor church services were banned, mass praise gatherings broke out in Los Angeles. 
Though the media would not cover it, 12,000 gathered to praise Jesus at the California State Capitol. The event was marked by many salvations and healings. And that movement is sweeping back and forth across the nation with mass praise rallies in many cities, and it's just getting going. This is a season of the Holy Spirit. God is rekindling his fire in our land. The Holy Spirit wants to kindle fresh fire in your land, wherever you are. So welcome Holy Spirit's fire. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We say, Lord, do it again. Do it more. This is a season of harvest, and God wants us to be prepared to welcome the harvest he brings in, no matter what it looks like. And see, that's why I have hope for America. We've always been a nation rescued by God. You know, that's what our national anthem is about. During the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key was held on a prison ship during the British attack on America's crucial defenses at Fort McHenry in Baltimore. The British cannon pounded the fort, but as the sun was setting, Francis could see our flag flying, and he wondered if the fort could survive the night. And he was a committed Christian. And as, when, when his friends went down below to sleep, Francis Scott Key continued to pace the deck, praying through the night for his country. And all through the night he prayed and he kept looking for the flag. And as long as the flag was still flying, he knew the battle was not lost. And from time to time, he caught a fleeting glimpse of it by the light of the cannon fire. And when morning came, Francis and the other prisoners strained their eyes to see if the flag was still flying. And by the early light of dawn, they saw the flag was still there. They knew the battle was won. The nation was spared. And so he sat down and wrote the words to what would become our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. That means it's a flag with lots of stars on it. And it asked the key question that he was asking when dawn broke that morning. Is that star-spangled banner still there? Now, everybody knows the first verse. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight over the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? See, that's the story of his all-night prayer vigil. But most Americans don't know how the star-spangled banner ends. The last verse says this, blessed with victory and peace, may this heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us as a nation. And then conquer we must when our cause it is just, but this is our motto, in God is our trust. 
That's our national anthem. It's a praise song. It was born out of an all-night prayer watch for the deliverance of our nation. And that's why America has been the land of freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And America is a land born in Holy Spirit revival. But see, this is true for any nation and any individual where Holy Spirit is allowed to move freely, freedom increases. Where the Spirit is hindered, freedom is lost. And so as we celebrate our country's birthday, I want to thank God for America. I praise God for the way he has preserved us. I thank him for all the times he has visited us in revival. I thank you that he's doing it again. I declare one more time, it's harvest time. It's harvest time in America. It's harvest time in the world. So come Holy Spirit and invade this land. May God bless America with liberty once more. Thank you, Lord, for this country. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the liberty that we have in you, in Jesus' name. Let's thank God for this message. When Robert was going through all of, especially the Jesus movement, which we were part of, he was going through that and the loss that came and how the thief stole that movement and it never came quite into its fullness. The Lord said, ask me for seven times that now. <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca, come up here again. We're going to send you out one more time. Rebecca and Cook have been involved with Sean Foyt. And uh, in this movement, Rebecca's from California, from the beaches, and we decree right now a sweeping move of God all over that West Coast. We pray for Sean's strength. We pray for the move of your spirit, and we decree in every state from east to west a sevenfold return for what's been stolen. I send you out to increase today in Jesus' name.